Well, as I said, uh, we're going to look at Hebrews 10 today. Uh, some of you may be wondering why are we jumping all the way from the end of chapter 7, where I, I finished up last week, all the way to the end of chapter 10, or the middle of chapter 10. It's because uh, I, I want to sum up, I'm actually preaching on three chapters at once, and you, you know, it's kind of crazy to do on a communion Sunday when we have a little less time. But uh, I want to show how the arguments that he's making are really summed up here in chapter 10. I'm going to refer back in, uh, into chapter 8, 9, and 10 as well, the parts that we don't read, but for time's sake. We're just going to read uh, Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. And I want to encourage you maybe later today to go and read all those chapters. He makes a very uh, 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 solid, you know, of course, it's the Bible, uh, argument. And uh, hopefully I can sum it up for you in, a, in a, just a few sentences. But hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Discouragement, despondency, depression sometimes leading to paralyzation, not being able to move forward? Have you ever been so down and discouraged that you did not know what to do, nor did you feel that you could do anything, even if you did know what to do? Trouble comes, and you feel like there's just no way forward. That's what the people to whom the writer of Hebrews uh, addressed this letter, that's what they were experiencing they were ready to give up on their faith. They were discouraged, depressed, struggling. They had experienced much trouble uh, in their experience. And they just wanted to probably crawl under the covers, pull the sheets up tight, and let the world go away. I was reading in 1 Samuel 15 last week, I mean 1 Samuel 30 last week, the account of David and his men and their families they were living in the city of Ziklag uh, amongst the Philistines. And this was before David was king and, and he was on the run. King Saul was, was searching for him, wanting to kill him. And David and his men had been living amongst the Philistines and they were doing raids and, and uh, being a bit deceptive, making the Philistine king think that they were working for him when they actually were working against him. So David, he has a bit of a quandary because the Philistines are about to go to war with Israel. And so he's enlisted David to come and fight for him. So David has a problem there. He's off and he's been put under the Philistine king. And thankfully, some of the other commanders refused to fight with David. So he got out of a sticky situation there, not having to fight against his own people. So on the way back home, to Ziklag, uh, where he was probably looking forward to meeting his wife and children and, and as well as the uh, other families there uh, of the men who had gone off to battle. 
they realize that something has gone terribly wrong. And I pick up the reading in 1 Samuel 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. So David's got a real problem here. Uh, Not only has his family been kidnapped, his possessions burned, the city ransacked, uh, but now everybody wants to kill him as well. Uh, even after God has just delivered him from having to fight against his own people. So one problem after another. And it seemed like David should be very depressed at this moment, as I would be, and probably just wants to go hide in a cave somewhere. But he goes on and says, after, after pointing out that everyone wants to kill him, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And he also gets the priest and he inquires of the Lord his God. I was interested in that phrase as I read it this week uh, or last week. David strengthened himself in the Lord. I think that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing for the people. That's what he wants his readers to, to do as they read the passage before us, the, in fact, the whole book. He wants them to be strengthened in the Lord. And there are two things that I want to do uh, for us today to help us be strengthened in the Lord. And this would especially... Uh, be an encouragement to those who are going through difficult times, ready to give up, maybe struggling with depression. Number one, we, we have some strengthening facts we must know. And then number two, the writer tells us some strengthening actions we must take. Well, first of all, the facts that we must know. Verse 19 through 21 that we just read uh, from Hebrews chapter 10 sum up the argument that he has been making in chapter 8, 9, and the beginning part of 10. Uh, He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. uh, That's what he's been talking about for the last two and a half chapters. Uh, he, he says, first of all, that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. If you flip back to chapter 9, verse 11 through 15, it tells us that uh, Christ, uh, verse 11 of chapter 9, when Christ a- appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, the heavenly places. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. If the blood of bulls and goats, of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of a defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, 
how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to the Lord's table. When Jesus says, this, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on in verse 26 of chapter 9. Uh, it says, picking up, up in the middle of the sentence, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And then if you flip to chapter 10, verse 12, it says, When Christ had offered... For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So these are the arguments he's making in chapters 8, 9, and 10, especially 9 and 10, this first part, that uh, because of what Christ has done, uh, because he has gone into the heavenly places, because he has sacrificed himself for sin, we can now go right into having a relationship with him, with God. Uh, confident. We have confidence, boldness. Uh, we can walk in there without any fear to the very throne room of God. And it's through this new and living way. It's a new way. He's contrasting that with the Mosaic Law and all the ceremonies. Uh, it's new because it's not the old way. The old way was merely pointing to Christ. And it's a living way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is. It's fresh. It's new. And it's living uh, because it brings us into a living relationship with God. And as well, it never dies. It, 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 it lasts forever, this way that he has provided and it brings life to us. It's a, it's a way of life. It's the way of life through Christ and what he's done in his life and his death. Therefore, brothers, he says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The price has been paid. Our guilt has been atoned for by Christ. And now, through this new and living way, we can, we can go through the curtain, it says. He's uh, alluding to the, the curtain that that uh, walled off the Holy of Holies, where the throne room of God was in the temple. Uh, you know, when he, when he died, it was torn from top to bottom, and it was open, the way was open, and it was symbolic. Christ has opened the way into having fellowship with God, not just the high priest once a year, but anyone who will, will can come and, and be right in the presence of God. We can have a relationship with God. The Holy of Holies has been opened up through Christ. And then it says, uh, the, the way has been opened us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. The, the flesh is not the curtain, in a sense. It's not, it wasn't a barrier between us. 
but it's by his flesh, by him coming in the flesh, by him uh, living the perfect life, by him dying on the cross, we can come right in through the curtain into the very holy of holies, into the very presence of God to have a relationship with him. And we can do so confidence because of the blood of Jesus. He has opened it up for us. And then verse 21 says, we have this great high priest over the house of God. Now he's, he's working in, in reverse uh, because he addressed this in chapter 8. At the beginning of chapter 8, if you want to flip back there, the first two verses say, now the point in what we are saying is this. And we Remember last week we talked about Jesus being a high priest and then two weeks before that we talked some more about him being the high priest which is why I'm skimming this a bit today, because most of you have heard this. The point which we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He says we have such a high priest. And he's referring back to chapter 7, verse 26. What kind of high priest do we have? Verse 26 says that he is such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This is the kind of high priest Christ is. And he is a minister in the holy places. So not only do we have access through Christ, but he represents us there. He is there representing us as our great high priest. Not in a tabernacle like like the Mosaic uh, priesthood, but in heaven, in the very presence of the Father. The tabernacle, the writer says, in verse 5, is just a copy and shadow of these heavenly things. They're pointing us to Christ. And also notice that in verse 2, it says that he is a minister in the holy places. Jesus is not, uh, not was a minister in the holy places. He not, it's not that he will be a minister in the holy places. He is, and he continues to be, a minister in the holy places on our behalf. He continually intercedes for his people there. You remember last week in chapter 7, he lives to make intercession for his people. So we have this great high priest who is there working for us before the Father. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice, by this new and living way that he opened up through the curtain, through his flesh, and we have a great high priest over the house of God. When we feel like giving up, when we're succumbing to depression, when our world is torn apart, when we feel like we are a failure, let us remember the gospel, because that's what that is. The good news about Christ, that... that he has saved us and we can have a relationship with, with our Creator. And when you have a relationship with the Creator, your future is secure. You know, maybe your life hasn't turned out like you planned it. Maybe the things that you desire are not coming to fruition. Maybe your life is very difficult. Maybe you've got health problems, relationship problems. The list can go on and on and on. But if you are a Christian... You have the approval of the, of the creator of the universe. He welcomes you into a relationship with himself, and you know him. And he's promised not to leave you in this condition. Uh, he has promised, 
wonderful things in the future, better things, things that last forever. And when you've got that person's approval, what does it matter? Who, who else's approval do you need above that? You've got the approval of the greatest of God. And there's no one greater. Based on this knowledge, okay, we know these things. What should we do? If we're really discouraged, feel like giving up, okay, remember the gospel. Remember whose you are. Remember what he's done for you. Remember all the blessings that he's promised for you. So secondly, here those, are some, those were some things that we need to know and remember, but here are some strengthening actions we must take. He gives us three things. Verse 22. Let us draw near, since we have this great high priest, since we have uh, access to God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Come with a true heart. Draw near to God. He has made it uh, possible to come into his presence. Don't run away from him. Draw near to him. Uh, we have this great opportunity. But how often do we do that? When, when we get into difficult circumstances, when we have trouble in our lives, when things aren't turning out like we want, how often our temptation is to run from God, to find solace in the things of this world. But he's encouraging these people, look, don't withdraw from God, draw near to God with a true heart. The phrase means more than just being sincere. Of course, that's part of it, but it means uh, to enter into his presence with the right attitude, uh, with gladness and freedom and enthusiasm, bold appropriation of all the privileges of sonship. Not only does he welcome us into his presence as, our, as friends, but he welcomes us as his children to come into the very presence of God. Jonathan Edwards was a great Puritan preacher uh, in America in the early 1700s, and he spent a lot of time uh, in his study. He was quite the, the brain, um, and, and he was spending like 12 hours a day in the study, and this, the weight of his arguments and his sermons uh, you can tell if you ever, ever if you read some of uh, some of his sermons, more than just sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, there are volumes published upon his writings. But his children could always just run into his study, and no matter all the deep thoughts that he was having, they were always welcomed to come in. This is such a wonderful picture of our relationship with the Father. We are invited in as his sons and daughters to come and have a relationship with him. So to come with, with gladness, with joy, with enthusiasm, uh, and enjoy the privileges of being a child of God. That's what he's saying for us to do. Don't withdraw. Draw near with confidence, with faith, believing these things that he's done for us. And he goes on saying, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How can we come into his presence? Well, because Christ has washed us. He's cleansed us. That word sprinkling here is only used six times in the New Testament, five times here in the book of Hebrews, once in 1 Peter, and it always refers to Christ's blood being sprinkled for the purposes of atoning for sin. Christ has cleansed us 
through his atoning sacrifice for our sins. And therefore we can come boldly into his presence because our, our guilt has been removed. Our, our consciences has, have been cleansed because he has forgiven our sins. He's paid the price, as we just sang uh, in, the, in the song, uh, The Power of the Cross. And our bodies washed with pure water refers either to the thoroughness of that cleansing process, that we are completely cleansed, or it could mean uh, baptism. Identifying as a follower of Christ, with Christ and his people, that's part of what baptism is. You're making a confession before the world. Uh, I am part of God's family. So as, he, as we draw near, we draw near knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we are part of his people. Our bodies washed with pure water. Now think about David. You know, David did not run from his problems. No, he, he drew near to the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. People were picking up stones and he started praying. He started asking the Lord for direction. He reminded himself of, of his God. May we do the same. That's the first thing he encourages us to do. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Secondly, he says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Usually he would, he would talk about the confession of our faith, but here the term is confession of our hope. And that would be particularly, uh, particularly profound for those who were despondent, these people that, to whom he's writing. Hope vividly anticipates that God will fulfill his promises. And that's what these people were doing, or being encouraged to do, and what they had done in the past. Because he points at the end of chapter 10, if you'll look down at verse 32, as he seeks to encourage them to cling to the hope that they have and not give up on their faith, he says, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you became Christians, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see what was going on there? They were being persecuted for their faith. Their friends were being persecuted for their faith. Some of their friends had been thrown in prison. So they had to make a, a, dis, a decision. Should I obey Christ and go and visit those in prison? Or should I play it safe so no one will really know that I'm a Christian and they won't come and burn my house down and steal my stuff while I'm away because, because I'm a Christian? But they, it says here that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Why did they do it? Because of their hope. You knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. See, the things that God had promised them were greater than their, their little houses and their, their material possessions, their sofa and their donkey and, and all the things that they owned. They had something in, promised for them in the future that was better and abiding, lasting forever. You know, the world may not think much of you, but if God thinks a lot of you in Christ, that's all you need. Because then you have the promise of a better possession and one that will last forever. Eye has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him.
That's why he says, hold fast the confession of your hope. We confessed our faith today. What did we say? We said, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And that's what we're saying here. We have something better coming. This world is not all there is. There's something greater that we're looking forward to. And then finally, he, he tells us, thirdly, to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We can't do this alone. That's what he's saying. We must have one another. We must be connected to the body of Christ, especially when, when we're going through difficult times. We need one another. The church should be an environment where people who are struggling, who are sinners, who are broken, uh, who've made mistakes, come together and they encourage one another. You'll notice here, it's not simply saying that you need to be in church every week so you can be encouraged. That's true. But rather, really what he's saying is, your presence is required at church so you can be an encourager. You consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You consider how to encourage one another. Just by your presence, you might think, well, I don't, I don't have a lot of gifts or ability. Just by your presence, you encourage that you're here. You know, it's much more, it's easier to preach to a crowd than to a small crowd. I'm more encouraged when there's more people. So even by your, your presence here, you encourage me, and I know you encourage other people as well. We're all encouraged when the pews are filled. See, you can come with that mindset. That's what he's saying. Come. Not only do you need to be encouraged, but your presence, sharing your gifts in the body of Christ, that's an encouragement to others. You may not think so, but it is. Even just by being here, it's an encouragement to others. Then when you start stirring up other people to love and good works, you know, that's, that's all the more great. We must have one another. We can go to 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans and see it. You know, it talks about the body of Christ and how we need one another. And the body can't function. You know, we're only as good as the weakest part of the body. So we all need to bond together. So what do we do when we're despondent? Remember the gospel. Remember this great high priest that we have. Remember that we can, we can have, we have a relationship with the Father. We can come into his very presence. Nothing's forbidding us. He's cleansed us from our sins. We can know him personally, so draw near. Draw near. Don't withdraw. Hold fast to the things that you believe. Remember those things that you believe and cling to them and live your life in light of those things. And be a part of the body. Stir one another to love and good deeds. And you'll notice that those three things, the first one, uh, draw near in faith, hold fast the confession of your hope, Stir one another up to love and good works. Faith, hope, and love. So a nice triumvirate there. Well, may the Lord help us to be encouraged even in the face of the difficulties that we endure in these times and in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would help us. Help us in these discouraging times. Help us in our depression and the things in which we struggle. Lord, we pray that we would indeed be encouraged today in the Lord, in the good news of Christ. And as we go to the table, may the things that we've just thought about be uh, further impressed upon us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.